Thank you for tuning in to today's life message from Cornerstone Church. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging message. If you would like more information about the church, stay tuned after this podcast. Well, uh, we are really excited this morning to have a, a dear friend of ours, um, Rajan Chinadurai and his wife Becky and their family are here with us. And we've known Rajan and Becky for almost 25 years. And they have been a constant source of inspiration for our family. They are based in India, but their reach goes far beyond the borders of India. They have an international television ministry that reaches into a lot of different nations. Um, They do a lot of ministry in India. I think they have ridden every back road of India. And I've gotten to ride a lot of them with them. But they have uh, traversed that country multiple times. And they've also gone to some of the most difficult places on the planet to take the gospel. Um, and amazingly, and this is just, it's just mind-blowing to me, they've done this in most cases with all seven kids with the group. I mean, when they go, they go as a tribe. Uh, and it's, it's really amazing that, that they've been able to do that and continue to do that to this day. Uh, their ministry is marked by uh, signs and wonders, uh, healing, miracles, those types of things. And I wouldn't even venture a guess at how many people have gotten born again as a result of the outreaches that they've done in various nations. Um, They're just a a tremendous family, and you're just in for a great treat today. Uh, If I tried to think of an adjective or a word to describe Rajan, he's, he's, uh, he's certainly a man of faith, and he isn't just a man of faith on a platform. He's a man of faith in everyday life where it really counts, and uh, he's an inspiration to us. But as far as describing him, different words come to mind, encourager, laughter, Rajan is always laughing, uh, it's, it's boldness, it's all these things. But if I had to near the, the, the word that means the most to me about Rajan is, it would be friend, and he is a true friend. I think I could call him up, and if I had a big issue and said, Rajan, I need you to come to the United States, I think he would do everything within his power to do it. And I mean that when I say that. So we're just excited. Rajan, come and share, and we're just happy to have you here. the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, he described himself to Abraham saying he's the possessor of heaven and earth. He rules the nations of the earth. You know, I remember the prayer of Joseph had, it says, are you not the God who created the heavens and the earth? Do you not rule over the nations? And he said, in your hand is power and might. What an incredible description of the God we get to serve. When you think about God, we need to remember that he is the God who created the heavens and the earth. When we look up and see the sun, moon, and stars, they were created by the spoken word of God. He spoke 
It didn't echo, rather it was created. And it is still there. It is sustained by his word. And the Bible says he rules the nations of the earth. So we don't need to be wondering what's happening in different places, you know, in our nation or any nation, because the ultimate ruler of every nation in this world, irrespective of who is elected, is our living God. That's what gives us joy. That's what helps us to rise up and fulfill the call that God has placed in our lives. And, in, and, and Joseph had said, in your hand is power and might, and no one is able to stand before you. What a great God we serve. Pastor, thank you for giving us as a family the opportunity to be with you again. We really appreciate it. And um, I want to thank my brother Tad and his family for their friendship and that great introduction. We should tape it. And I'm going to run it in every meeting. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a blessing to be with brothers and sisters. And what a privilege to be in a service like this. To be with other believers in a church environment. Hallelujah. This morning, uh, I'm, uh, we're going to look at the subject of faith. This month has been dedicated to study what God says about the faith that he has given us. It's not the faith we have. It's the faith that belongs to him that he has deposited or given each one of us. God, the God we serve, is a good God. The God we serve is a powerful God. He's an unlimited God. Say this with me. The God whom I serve is a good God. Think about that for a minute. It's a good God. He's a good God. He is an unlimited God. Say it with me. He's an unlimited God. He's unlimited in power. Oh, that went down. We are to be joyful about talking about our God. Amen? Say this. He's an unlimited God. Unlimited in power, unlimited in wisdom, unlimited in ability, and he is on my side. Whoa, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So this great God who has saved us by his incredible love has not planned any defeats for us. We have to have the truth drilled deep into our spirit because there will always be challenges, problems, you know, impossibly difficult circumstances. In the midst of all that, we must always remember that my God has not planned defeats for me. Our God did not save us, send his son into this world, shed his blood, suffer so incredibly excruciating pain, literally die on the cross and rise again just so that we can be disappointed, discouraged, defeated, and despair in life. The God we serve has planned for us not to live a life of fear, not to despair, not to doubt, not to be discouraged. Rather, he has planned for us to walk in the victory that Jesus Christ has already 
paid for through his suffering, death, and resurrection. The victory that you need right now in your life has already been paid for. Today, God does not have to think, well, my son, my daughter is having this particular sickness or disease, this impossibility or this financial disaster. What do we do? He doesn't have to call a council. Rather, the price has been paid. Already, hallelujah, he has made, how do we appropriate this? This is where the, the subject of faith comes in. God has made it possible for every one of us believers to have the same manifestation of faith that Jesus had in his life while he was on this earth. Same faith, remember. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man. He lived in this earth. He walked this earth. He prayed for people. He ministered to people. Incredible miracles took place. He taught who God is. He also had to have faith in his life to see the victories over the devil that he saw. So, through the Bible, we realize that you and I have the same manifestation of faith that Jesus had in his, during his earthly ministry. God has made it possible for us to have the same supernatural faith in our lives that Jesus had while he was performing or doing what God had called him to do. Faith is supernatural because its origin is of God. This is so important. I cannot produce faith. I cannot psych myself up with faith. Faith is a, a divine, has divine origin. It is given to us by God when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Once upon a time, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Think about this auditorium. We are all inside. It, like this, in a sinful atmosphere, we were inside, totally covered and saturated by sin, and we were literally dead. Spiritually, we were dead. We had no comprehension of God. We had no desire for God. We were dead to anything that was good, pure, righteous, and holy. Into that atmosphere, God sends His Holy Spirit, who reaches in and touches us and says, awake all you are dead in sin. That's the moment we had conviction of sin in our lives. Until then, we thought we are good people. We had conviction of sin. And as a result, we recognize there's a need for a savior. It's desperate. I am on a path that is not correct because the wrath of God is going to come upon me I need a savior. And the gospel became so real, we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. At the same moment, God also deposited a measure of his faith into each one of our lives. That's the most important thing. We need to realize that God's faith, the faith of God is already inside us. God is not depending upon us 
to create faith, he has already made provision. Faith has been imparted to us. And God today, through his word, I am trusting and believing that he will activate this supernatural faith in our lives so that it will completely eradicate every trace of unbelief. The biggest challenge we have is unbelief. And, one, and truth has to be applied to unbelief so that we can operate in this activated faith. This faith that God has given us will enable us to overcome every obstacle. Shout every obstacle. It will help us overcome every challenging circumstance. Say every challenging circumstance. Every attack of the enemy. Hallelujah. We will not waver. We will not falter because the faith that God has imparted to us has no room for error. Hallelujah. There is no deficiency in this faith. There is no margin of error in this faith. The faith that comes from God is perfect. It is sufficient through which we can deal with any circumstance and come out on the other side in total victory. That's a faith that's already inside each one of us. With this faith operating in our lives, we can face every affliction and every persecution that we will face for the sake of the gospel. That is part of the package. We will face persecution. So where does the supernatural faith come from? The Bible says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, in the ESV, our English Standard Version, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this scripture makes it very clear. Everyone born of God overcomes this world. When the apostle John was inspired to write this verse, he could not even comprehend how someone born of God could ever be defeated. That's why he wrote it this way. He says, everyone born of God overcomes this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So the source of our supernatural faith is our living God. And this faith is imparted to us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the faith we have is the faith of God. So here is a simple truth. If you are born of God, you will overcome the world. In other words, God is telling us, I have already positioned you for victory. We don't need to crawl and clutch and climb somewhere to get victory. You are already in a position of victory. Are you born again? That's the important question. Are you born again? Are we walking in relationship with God? That is the key. We will overcome the world. This is the victory. Our faith 
Since believing in Jesus is the key to be born again, the key to victory is faith. So God imparts his supernatural faith. Faith can be defined this way. Supernatural faith because it comes from him. It's an abiding faith. It doesn't come and leave. What is given stays there. And it is an enduring faith. And it empowers us to trust in Jesus, his promises, and experience the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. This is very important. Promises were never given just to be read. Promises were never given just to feel good about it. It's not a temporary fix or a high. God gave promises because he's a God who cannot tell a lie. He is faithful to what he said. And he possesses the power to fulfill what he said. And promises must be fulfilled in our lives. So you can look at the promises in the Bible as our spiritual inheritance. If somebody left you, somebody, a relative... You know, you, you probably didn't know them a lot. You knew they were there, but not much connection. But then you're surprised. They pass away. They left a will and left everything for you. That's your inheritance. You just don't drive by that place and look at the big mansion sitting on a 100-acre land and say, wow, that's what I've been left with. You, at some point, have to go and take possession of that house and that land. We don't window shop the promises of God. It's time that we take hold of the promise of God, realize this is mine. Because God has entered into a blood covenant relationship with each one of us, and, he's, and that covenant relationship comes with covenant promises. That's why the promises are our inheritance. And God has given us the faith to realize these promises or see it being fulfilled in our lives. So who is he who overcomes the world? Verse 5 says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So knowing Jesus is not just some facts or information mentally we have. Rather, it is the reality of Jesus. This comes when we begin to read the word and pray until it becomes real to us. It's mental, intellectual understanding cannot carry us through. The word has to be transferred into our spirit, received into our spirit, believed in our hearts, spoken with our mouth, and lived out. Hallelujah. How do we know we are alive? Not even thinking everyone sitting here is breathing. That oxygen is so important for you and I to live. The minute the breathing stops, many things stop. And, you know, pretty soon you're pronounced dead. So knowing Jesus is like oxygen that we need in our breathing system for our life. It's like the food we eat to sustain ourselves so that we can do the work that we have to do. 
We overcome because we are in Christ. We overcome because we are in Christ. That's what it says. Everyone, who is he who overcomes? He who believes that Jesus is the Son. We overcome because we, because we are born of God. We are born of God because we believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So it is so crucial that we recognize salvation is not just a prayer we pray. What happens at salvation? There is a deep conviction. There is a repentance. There is a turning away. There is a great exchange where our sins are lifted off of us. And in its place, God clothes us with his righteousness. And then there is a covenant relationship that is established, a covenant that even God cannot break with us. Think about that. An unlimited God, sovereign God, has bound himself and bound himself with each one of us with this covenant, unbreakable covenant. And it comes with covenant promises. So let's look at what is this supernatural faith. It is the faith of God deposited in us that will enable us to defeat Satan and overcome the world. Supernatural faith applies the reality of God's promises and the unseen world to our life in the present and in the visible realm. Supernatural faith applies the reality of God's promises. It's not just mere words we read. There is a reality to the promises of God. When God says, I am the Lord who heals you, when does it become real? It becomes real because the Holy Spirit opens it to us. He brings a revelation and it enters our heart and nothing can ever shake it at that point. That is done by faith. The faith applies, the faith that God gives us applies the reality of God's promises and the unseen world to life in the present, right now. It applies right now in the visible. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a very famous passage we look at for definition of what faith is. In the King James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here, God presents faith with an objective understanding. It's very important. Faith is more, is not necessarily, the faith of God is not a subjective understanding. Rather, it's an objective understanding. This is a very crucial revelation we need to receive in our heart. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. Faith is the reality of things hoped for and the proof of things unseen. That is what faith does. That is the objective understanding of faith. In other, in, you, we can say it this way. In faith, things hoped for become realized. In faith, things hoped for become realized or fulfilled 
or become a reality. And it is a proving of unseen things. So we are not, we have a concrete evidence to believe what we believe. Our God-given faith substantiates what we hope for. Thus giving us the assurance that they are true. So faith that God has given us substantiates what we are hoping for. You are hoping for peace in your life. Hoping for the salvation of your loved one. Hoping for something in your life. The faith that God has given you substantiates what we hope for. Giving the assurance that it is true. Assurance that God has the power and his promises will be fulfilled. So faith proves or gives evidence for things we cannot see. You do not see the healing right now. You have had arthritis for the last 10 years or maybe some other disease for 20 years. You have not seen it yet, but faith that God gives proves and gives evidence for the things that we cannot see. We have not seen yet. Thus giving us a conviction that these unseen things are true. That's where the faith that God gives us differs from every other type of faith. Anything that is propagated anywhere else in the world. Because the Holy Spirit takes what God has given us and makes it real. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 can be stated this way. Faith makes real in our experience the promises that God has given about the future. Faith makes real in our experience the promises that God has given us about the future. Faith proves to us the fact that things we presently cannot see. Faith proves the fact that things we cannot see. What is that we have not seen? We have not seen God. We will see him in heaven. We have not seen angels. We have not seen heaven yet. How do we know hell is real? These are the things that are not yet seen. But faith proves the fact that the things we presently cannot see are very much true and real. So in other words, if you boil it all this down, faith applies the reality of God's promises and the unseen world to life in the present visible world. That is, the, that is how Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 can be understood. It says here, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Evidence of things not seen. It proves it. Because faith has a substructure or a foundation underneath that is God himself and his word and the Holy Spirit makes it real to each one of us. One great scholar said it this way. He used an example. Two men are standing on a ship and they are going on a voyage in the high seas. They both are looking at the same direction. 
One man looks, all he sees is water. The other man looks, and he sees in a distance another big ship. What's the difference? The first man was looking at the ocean with unaided uh, sight. The other person is looking with a telescope. So faith, so this telescope brought that image of something that's far away very close. So faith is like the telescope that brings the future promises of God into present focus. God has paid for it. We know that is done. So there are things we are believing. It looks like it's not there. But when we look through faith, what looks far comes into present focus. So faith enables us to see the unseen world that the natural man cannot see. Only believers have been given this privilege to see into the realm of the spirit, the promises to see into the unseen world and see the reality applied today. Hallelujah. That's why we can boldly pray. So now with this understanding, let us look at how faith worked in the lives of the three Hebrew men that we read about in Daniel. Names are Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The story is written in Daniel chapter 3. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, the writer, without mentioning their names, says, By faith they quenched the power of fire. That one statement is made referring to what happened with these three. What happened? These three men knew the living God, and they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. He had made this big image and wanted everybody to bow down. They said no. This caused the king to be enraged, angry, and he threatened to throw them into a burning or a blazing furnace. Now, let's read the response. Look at this response recorded in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 in the New American Standard Bible. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This was their answer to the king. So the response shows, one, by faith, they are making real in their present crisis that God will deliver them according to his promises. See, they had faith. The faith was so real. They are applying the promise of God to their circumstance right now with a king threatening to throw them into that burning furnace. Second, by faith, they were making real in the present crisis the future promise of God regarding eternal life. They're making by faith the future promises of God regarding eternal life. They're speaking it out loud. What does it mean? They could see God through faith setting them free. And that day it happened. They were thrown in the fire. 
They were tied. They were thrown in the fire. A few minutes later, the king looks to see if they're all burnt up because it should happen. They were not burned. They're, uh, all the ropes were cut out are burnt up and they are walking free with their full clothing. And then in the middle of the fire, there's a fourth man who looked like the Son of God. What an incredible miracle that took place. But it took faith to speak it. How were they able to do it? Because God's faith makes His promises real. There's a reality to the promise. There is a structure to the promise. There's a foundation to the promise. There's a proof to the promise that we can apply it right now in our present circumstance. Now, someone can say, well, that is a great incident. But what if God had not delivered them? What if they were burned to death? So look at the answer again. The answer is, they would have died in faith. They would have died in faith. And God would reward them abundantly throughout eternity in heaven. Either way, they are in faith. That's the reality that they had. They, see, two things they did. One, they are telling the king, we are not going to bow down because our God will deliver they were familiar with the promise of God because they're going back in their mind how God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah and brought forth the nation of Israel. A hundred-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife gave birth to a son, natural-born child, and then a great nation comes. They are descendants of that promise. They knew who their God was. And they believed, just like Abraham, they made a choice to believe the promise of God. Because God gave them that reality. And they're applying it to their present circumstance as they are standing there. And they say, God will deliver us. But they're also making a second statement. They're saying, even if he doesn't deliver us, we are still applying the promise of God that he will ultimately save us because we will die in faith, we will be in heaven, and we will have eternal life. Therefore, they are not going to compromise. So, by faith, on that day, they saw the unseen God as more real, as the ultimate ruler of heaven and earth, as the God of absolute power, than the angry king who was standing in front of them and threatening to burn them up. So their answer exudes with faith in the living God. This is what God is doing for us. We can be in the middle of a trying circumstance, in the middle of circumstances beyond our ability to bear, but God's grace will come in, and then as we continue to read the word of God, faith, God imparts to us, gives us the evidence, gives us the proof that applies the reality of the promises into our present circumstance. I remember when I was a young boy, about six years old, my father suddenly became sick. And uh, he was paralyzed. One evening, everything was fine. We all went to bed. Next morning, he could not get up. He was frozen to his bed. 
he was in excruciating pain. Every bone, every joint hurt. And so my mother and father believed that Jesus not only paid the full price for our sins to be forgiven, but he also paid the full price for our physical bodies to be healed and for the promises of God to be fulfilled in our lives. So they would pray, and my mother would pray, and as she would pray, God will give my father a deep sleep, and he'll sleep for hours, and that was his pain medication. Just he'll go to sleep. And he never moved, and every day I saw him in that bed. Forty days he was in that bed. On the fortieth day, as my mother was praying for him, the Lord spoke to my mother and said, it's time for you to act in faith. And gave her a promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So my mother shared that with my father. And they prayed and she spoke that promise. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And she put her hand underneath his shoulder and pulled him up. And he sat up for the first time. And the upper part of his body was completely loosed. Every joint, every bone was completely healed. All of the pain left. And speaking the same promise, she pulled his legs to the side of the bed and his lower part of his body was healed. And speaking the same promise, she pulled him up from the bed and he stood up for the first time in 40 days. Hour after hour, they did the same thing. And now my dad, by the evening came, could actually get up and walk unaided across the room diagonally and my mother had a chair for him he would sit there and then get up and walk back to his bed I remember coming home that evening my first stop when I came home was always the kitchen where the good things were but my mother said have you seen your father I remember this conversation distinctly I said no she said you should go see him so I run into the bedroom as I walked in the bed was on the left side and my father turned his head and looked at me and that is something I had not seen in many days. And then he said, watch this. And he sat up for the first time to me in my eyesight. And I'm watching him. And then he stands up and begins to take steps and walk across the room. I just stood there watching him. And then he sat down in the chair. And then he got up. And began to walk back again. And halfway into the place, right there in front of me, he turned and looked at me. And he said, Jesus healed me. That forever was engraved in my heart that Jesus Christ healed. It doesn't matter how impossible it was. That the impossibility only makes the miracle even greater. The, the harshness of the circumstance, the painfulness of what we are going through actually only increases the level of the victory that God has for us. So I want to encourage you today. There is a reality in faith. It's not some ethereal thing. Rather, it is imparted to us from God. It's only for believers and we can receive it in our lives. And when we receive it, Amazing things will happen like we are reading here. These three men proved God. 
And on that day, when I was six years old, I saw my father get up and walk. And for the rest of his life, he was active. He was in the military. You could never look at him and say, this man once was totally paralyzed, bedridden for 40 days. Hallelujah. What a great God we serve. I want to share another incredible, uh, wonderful uh, testimony that built my faith. In the year 1972, um, India, just a few years before then, had introduced cooking gas, so gas would come in a cylinder. And um, many homes did not have it. Some homes had it, and it was slowly being uh, introduced. Until then, people used firewood or coal to cook their food or kerosene stuff, so gas was a great blessing. You know, there's no smoke and burnt clean. So the cylinder usually lasted in our home for 30 days. End of 30 days, we had to get a new cylinder. So my mother realized the cylinder is empty, walks to the other room. I was home that day, and uh, she walked to the other room to make a phone call to the agency asking them for, to bring a new cylinder in. And... Uh, she gave all the information. Then she asked the question, how long will it take? Usually it took 24 hours. This time the man on the other end said, 30 days. 30 days. And my mother could not believe it. She said, 30 days. He said, well, there's a big, uh, you know, uh, knee, there's a shortage and uh, there's a big list ahead of you. So we are estimating 30 days. So she put the phone down. She walks over to where I was and she's talking to herself. What are we going to do? You know, we had to go outside the house and build a fire to cook food, and she didn't want to do that. Then all of a sudden she said, you know, we serve a miracle-working God. And she walked over to the cylinder. I'm sitting there studying, and she walks over into the kitchen, laid her hands on that cylinder, and started praying, Lord, you are a miracle-working God, and you are more than able to supply gas and increase gas in the cylinder. And she thanked God, and she praised God, and she opened the valve, struck a match, held it to the burner, and the burner came on. We had that cylinder for 90 days. But every day, there was enough to cook all the food she wanted to cook. God is a great provider. God is a miracle-working God. He is on our side. And that's why these important incidents recorded in the Bible are so crucial. We need to read them. We need to be familiar with different circumstances, how God intervened and did powerful miracles to help his sons and daughters have victory. So how do we activate supernatural faith? We hear about faith. Is it only for a few people? Is it for anybody? God has already given this faith. It's already inside every one of us. The important thing is faith has to be activated. And the Apostle Paul gives us the key. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, he's talking about when we are born again, you know, we were, 
before we knew God, we had that old nature. We were pleasing that old nature. Now we receive Christ. The new nature has been burst. There are not, for the first time, believers will begin to experience conflict because the old nature is so used, has been so pampered. You know, we did everything to satisfy it and please it. Now the new nature says, no, that is not pleasing to God. That is not right. So we have a conflict. So what does, what does the Bible say? The Bible teaches us that we need to crucify this old nature along with its desires, lusts, passions. That's what he's talking about. So the, he's saying, I am crucified with Christ. He's not talking about a literal crucifixion. Rather, he's talking about his old nature being starved and crucified to the cross with Christ. And it's left there. It is not being satisfied. And he says, I know it is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the dying to that old nature or the carnal nature is allowing Christ to have more and more room in his life. You read in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. A different translation says the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus, where he is, faith is there. So the more the old nature is denied and crucified, the more Christ is able to occupy the reality of Christ and is able to be manifested through our words, actions, our lifestyle, the more faith is also demonstrated. More of Jesus, more of faith. That is what happened with the early believers and the leaders and believers throughout the ages. They were willing to be crucified with Christ. So supernatural faith was activated in their lives as a, as a result of their willingness to be crucified with Christ, lay everything down at the altar so that they were no longer living by the dictates of their flesh or motivated by carnal desires. And this is a desire that God puts in our hearts. This is not a do or don't, but rather as we spend more and more time with God, there is a desire that comes that says, I want more of Jesus. I want to please him more. And there are things about our lives that God will allow to surface. And we realize it can be lack of patience. It can be anger. It can be an uncontrolled tongue. It can be jealousy. It can be any number of things. But when it comes, the, the devil will wait there and say, look, you know, you got all these problems. And, you know, how can God love you? That's one side. What we need to recognize is, is God allowing these things to come out so that it can be dealt with so that we become more and more like him. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that our God is transforming us into the victorious image of Jesus Christ so that when someone looks at you, they see Jesus because his presence, his words, his nature, his character begins to come. But it also affects faith. In your heart, if you feel that you are unable to believe for certain things, I would suggest this scripture. 
I'll ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify areas that need to be crucified, that needs to be denied, that we are not feeding that area. So the more that dies, the more Christ is manifested, more Christ is able to take more control of our lives, which will cause this supernatural faith to be active in our lives. So faith is a life that is lived out. The proportion of faith that is activated or released in our lives will be according to the proportion we are willing to be crucified with Christ. The more we are crucified, more Christ is manifested. Where he is abounding, his faith also abounds because God has planned for us to have the same manifestation of faith. It's very important in our spiritual life. We need to be careful that there is an obstacle to faith. It's a simple word. It's called unbelief. It's easy sometimes to listen to what everybody else says. It's easy to allow circumstances, to focus on circumstances, and allow and not depend on the faith that God's given us. Listen to this amazing words written in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. It's talking about the people of Israel. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible. For who were they who heard and yet were rebellious and provoked him? Was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was God irritated, provoked, and grieved for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose dismembered bodies were strewn and left in the desert? To whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? But to those who disobeyed, who had not listened to his word. Watch that line. Who did not listen to his word and refused to be compliant or be persuaded. So, and, and concludes by saying, so we see that they were not able to enter into his rest because of their unwillingness to adhere to, trust in, rely on God. Unbelief had shut them out. Forty years. They wandered in the wilderness. But before that, they had seen those amazing miracles that had never happened before. Ten incredible miracles. Then the Red Sea parted. Every day manna is coming down. They're eating the manna. 45,000 tons of manna God provided. Roughly, that's the estimation for 2 million people. 15 million gallons of water is providing them every day. Supernatural miracles. But when God told them, go up and possess this land, they hesitated. They didn't believe that the same God who opened the Red Sea is the same God who's with them and will give them the land. They did not believe that he's going before them fighting the battle. So they allowed unbelief to come. Why? Because they looked. The spies said there are giants in the land. The spies said there are fortified cities. In our lives, we too will encounter fortified cities. There will be giants that will loom tall. But God says, don't look at the giant. Don't look at the fortified cities. Look to me. Look to what I have given. And look to the fact that I am on your side. We need to be totally convinced. That God has planned for each one of us to operate in the same manifestation of faith that Jesus operated. Unbelief can be destroyed only by allowing God's word to come into our heart. 
we have to read the word. We have to meditate on the word. We have to pray what we are reading. As you are reading, certain scriptures will stand out. Certain lines, even a single word. You need to stop right there. Begin to, begin to pray. Say, oh God, make this real. I want to receive. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty for you. And it will go inside you. It will bring a strength that you cannot receive anywhere else. And it will prepare you for the next battle. What, what made them wander for 40 years? Unbelief shut them out. We don't have 40 years to wander in spiritual wilderness. These things were written so that we would know that we need not go the same route. Faith is very real. Faith is active. It causes us to take steps. Faith removes the limitations we place upon God. How many times our mind you know, advises us, well, I think only this much can happen. We limit an unlimited God with our mind. That's why the mind has to be filled with the word of God. You see, in your spirit, as you read the word, in your spirit, the revelation, the truth comes. And then we teach it to our mind. How? By speaking it. By speaking it. Something happens that causes fear to come in your heart. We need to stop right there because the spirit of God will, will, will do that. And you have to say with your mouth. God has not given me a spirit of fear. He has given me a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Who should speak it? You should speak it. You should tell yourself, listen mind, listen heart. This is the truth. Bible says that God has not spared his own son for us. All. How much more would he through him also Freely give us all things. We need to speak the promises of God and pray over the promises. That's how we can face challenges that come in our lives. A few years ago, we were in a particular place training believers. It, we knew it was a difficult place. And uh, everybody was discouraging us. There were a few leaders there, um, churches, small churches, and uh, they were imploring me. They said, if you do this event, Christian blood will flow. And there I am with my wife and my children, and I told them, brother, I'm not here to harm you. I'm just going to do this. I need to obey God. Whether anybody comes or not, I'm still going to be here 10 days and preach to an empty auditorium because to me, it's a matter of obedience. And uh, they were pointing to a structure nearby that, that was the uh, headquarters of a particular group that were violently opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they told me, you won't even be able to speak for 20 minutes before you're going to be dead. These are the words. So God put in my heart to fast and pray. That's what you do. You build yourself up in faith and in protection. And fasted, prayed God's word. The most incredible thing happened. We were there for 10 days, not one challenge we faced. It was the most incredible miracle God had done for us. And we saw such, in, such great transformation in the lives of people. We saw things in the spirit from being broken. Leaders who were, 
who were so concerned about this came back later apologizing for their words of unbelief and saying how they know God has done something very real in their city. How does that happen? Because of the faith that God gives us. He opens it. He helps us to see something beyond these natural eyes. Remember that incredible story with Elisha? You know, he's in this little town called Dothan. Syrian army comes and besieges it because they want to capture this little prophet and take him to Syria, to Damascus. And the servant is shaking from head to toe because the gate is closed. He comes back and says, oh, my master, we are all going to die today. Prophet walks out there, looks at the crowd, big army, and then turns and says, Lord, open his eyes. That's what he said, open his eyes. And the Bible says the servant's eyes were open. He was not blind. He could see. But the spiritual eyes had to be opened. When it was opened, he saw the chariots of fire. The host of God had already come and encamped around the city. That's why the, 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 the prophet is cool like a cucumber. He's unperturbed. He's not moved by, by the Syrian army. Why? Because he has heavenly hosts there and he knows no one can prevail against God's forces. And that's what we have. As we surrender our lives to obey God, faith is always exciting, adventurous. God will take us to places we never dreamed of. Put us in circumstances you would never want to sign your name in. But it always happens unawares. It always happens. But in the midst of that, he will literally remove fear from your heart. He will give you his mind. He will cause his faith to be activated in you. To believe for extraordinary miracles to take place. And we have seen it again and again. And I'm here to encourage you today. Don't allow unbelief to stop you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. Every person here should be praying, believing. You didn't hear God. You need to fast. What's the point of wandering in spiritual wilderness for 40 years? When you can fast a week or 40 days and literally apprehend the purpose that God has for your life. And that's a crucial thing. Once you have the purpose, you'll be like the Apostle Paul running that race every day. Not giving up because you know God is with you. You know that your life means something. There are souls who will be saved. People will be discipled. And as a result, there are going to be other transformations that are going to be taking place. Your life is important in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. Well, I think the hour has come. <laughs> I want to close with this one scripture, a very famous scripture, Hebrews 11:6. It says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please him." Come on, everybody, raise your right hand. A big smile on your face. Say this, "Without faith." Without faith. Oh, I didn't see the smile. You got to have a smile. All the teeth. Okay. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that God exists. And he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him.
Now, look at that word, but without faith. That word without. You know, we are inside this building. And when, when the service is over, we are going to go outside this building. Here it says, the only way to please God by, is by being inside that realm of faith. That's what it literally means. It's being inside the limits that God has set and has placed us. We are not outside our faith. We are inside our faith. Why? Because faith has already been given to us. So it means we are today living inside faith, and that enables us to please God. So why should we have faith? Why is it so important? Because we have a desire. Our primary purpose in life is to please God, is to bring Him glory in all that we say and do. That is the most important thing. We are to please God. And because we know that we are going to give, bring pleasure to God, it causes us to stay in the realm of faith. Hallelujah. What is the great motivation to walk in faith, to use the faith God gives us? Because we get to please Him. Thank you, Jesus. And without faith, we cannot receive answers that God has. The Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus said, Have faith in God constantly. That's how the Amplified puts it. Have faith in God, not once in a while, but constantly. Whosoever shall speak to this mountain, be thou uprooted, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt at all in his heart, but believes at what he asks. Believes in his heart. You see, faith, when it's operating, removes doubt. It will not doubt at all in our heart. And Jesus said, it will be given to him what he asks. And then he re-emphasizes it by saying, for this reason I'm telling you, whatsoever things you desire in prayer, believe, trust, and be confident that you have received it. And you will have it. Amen? We're going to pray. Then pastor is going to come uh, close the service. But my children and I, we'll love to stand here and pray with you. If you have a need, you want God to touch you, we would love to stand here, pray with you for your breakthrough, whatever it may be. Amen? Everybody stand with me for just a moment. Lift your hands to God. Pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, we are so thrilled that we are your sons and daughters. Thank you for imparting your faith to us that we are able to apply the reality of your faith. into our present circumstances and prove and experience the promises of God. Touch me, Lord. Create in me a hunger for you. Hunger for your word. A deep desire to please you in all circumstances. Open my heart up. Fill me with you. Holy Spirit, I need a fresh touch every day, every moment. I crucify 
my carnal desires. Everything in me that's displeasing to you. Holy Spirit, identify it for me. And help me, like the Apostle Paul, to crucify that. So that you may increase in my life. So that your faith will flow like a river. That I will be an effective vessel in your hand every day. Mighty God, I pray you will seal your word in the hearts of your people. Strengthen them in the name of Jesus. Every doubt, every accusation of the enemy, I command it to go. These are your children. You bought each one of us with your own blood. We are your property. And I pray, God, that your presence will enter us. And I pray you will stir our hearts today. Activate this faith that's in us, oh God, that we can serve you, bring pleasure to you, see answers come through, see the promises of God fulfilled. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's encouraging podcast. You can find out more information about the church on our Facebook page at Cornerstone of Victory Church, Statesville. Remember, life begins at the cross.